We are gearing up to get in the water. We're on a shoot for Shark Week on the Great Barrier Reef. Paul removes his robotic hand and replaces it with a shiny metal hook. He tells me that's his diving hook. My stepfather was a paratrooper in the Australian military, and he used to say, adapt and overcome. And to me, Paul de Gelder is the definition of adapt and overcome. It was a routine training dive for Paul as a Navy clearance diver when a bull shark decided to change his life in ways he could not imagine at the time. I have had the privilege of diving alongside him since that day. Imagine going from losing two limbs to a bull shark, to hand-feeding one not too long after. Paul has since become a massive advocate and nothing short of TV sensation after his shark attack. But has it all been smooth sailing? Not in the least. His physical and mental challenges show us not only how to rise to the challenge of coexistence, but also how to approach life. Two lives were changed that day. Paul's and that of the shark that attacked him, who was about to gain another much-needed and incredibly powerful voice. Hi, Paul. How are you? What's going on? Oh, nothing much. I'm like, I'm stoked to finally have you on here, to be honest, because your story is a cool one and one that I think that everyone should hear. So thank you for uh, agreeing to talk to me today. It's not like we never talk anyway. It's just yeah. uh, in this format, I think we're going to get into some nitty gritty. Yeah, as exactly. Opposed to, Let's just go have a beer. Exactly. We have to, and then you know, like it's it's good. It's such a thrill for everyone listening to the podcast because now they get two Australian accents. You know, so everyone's stoked. <laughs> I do get told out here in America that um, my voice is really great. Like, so I just um, I got asked to be in the new documentary for Gold's Gym in Venice, which is known around the world as the Mecca. You know, it's the home of bodybuilding. And I was doing my interview yesterday and it's an all German crew. And the sound guy was just afterwards. He's like, you, you need to do a voiceover. Like your voice <laughs> is just so nice. I was like, oh, thanks mate. That's uh could that's be, it could be just, another career path in the mix. I was, yeah, that definitely, I, I would be making phone calls to that sketchy call line for sure. It's not just an American <laughs> thing. You in, even in Australia, you got a good voice. So definitely, uh, the, the face for radio, I would say. That's <laughs> kidding. That's what my dad always used to say to me. You've got the face for radio. Yeah, um, but, you know, you've got a good podcast voice, and that's why you're here today. You've got a good podcast voice. Oh, and the fact that you were attacked by a bull shark <laughs> and have devoted your life to sharks. I forgot to mention that. Oh, that little tidbit. That little bit. <laughs> um, dedicated so, my life to sharks. I've have. dedicated a good amount of time to sharks and energy and passion but life, I don't know. I've got a lot of things going on. So uh, sharks take up a lot of my time, though, and I'm quite happy with that. I mean, the last time that we got to hang out wasn't that long ago, right? We were on a beautiful tropical island on the Great Bay Reef having the best day. The water was stunning. We got to go diving. And then you pull out your phone and you're like, hey, do you want to see these pictures from when I was attacked? And you show me some of the most horrific pictures I have ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're pretty gruesome. I'm, I'm grateful that my uh, plastic surgeon, Dr. Kevin Ho, took all those pictures and gave them to me so I could show people. And uh, I started speaking around a time I was leaving the Navy in 2012, which is funny because the only thing I was more afraid of than sharks was public speaking. Uh, yeah. And now I'm literally a shark diving public speaker. So there's a message <laughs> in that for everyone. You can turn your greatest fears into your greatest strengths. But um, I, I started speaking in the early days. I used to show all of those photos, like the bite, the surgery where they're removing my leg, and people started passing out in the audience. And initially <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny and pretty cool. You know, I had to jump off stage a lot and put people in the recovery position. Um, I did a job for Microsoft, the launch of Microsoft 10, and there was about 110, yeah, about about 100 people 
six in one go passed out and it was standing room only. So it wasn't even like they were sitting in that slump over. It was like they collapsed from their oh, feet. Oh my goodness. Uh, even the, the AV guy who was controlling my presentation passed out, slumped over his control panel, dribbling into the electronics. It was hilarious. So I've had like, I've had, uh, I did one recently in Texas uh, and I've never had an American pass out. And so I was on stage in Texas. There was probably like 400 people and I was, you know, talking and going through the thing. And I always make the joke that I've, you know, I've had 69 people pass out. Most of them are men. And then a dude passed out and I was like, Hey, it's my first American. And everyone's laughing. And I hear from his table, he's a Canadian. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I, I, I didn't know that you took so much joy in showing people these photos, but I think it's a really cool characteristic that you can look back on it and you can appreciate it. And they are graphic photos for anyone listening. I got to see Paul's, but that was the only good part of being shown the photos, but also uh, his uh, bone. And the flesh that had torn away from your leg. So let's go back and explain to the people listening exactly what happened. What was your job before you became public speaker, shark diver extraordinaire? You were a clearance diver, right? Yeah. yeah. Army first as a um, uh, parachute paratrooper. Sorry. Um, from 2000, November 2000 to about <clears throat> April 2005, I was in the army as a soldier. Uh, and then I just kind of got bored with being dirty and smelly and living in the bush all the time. Um, and so I went looking for something else to do within the military because I didn't want to leave it because that was kind of my security blanket. I, I, I hadn't accomplished much in the real world. And so I didn't really want to go back to the real world. Um, so I looked elsewhere. I looked at SAS and commandos, but that was, you know, that would just mean I'm still dirty and smelly in the bush all the time. And then I discovered these guys in the Navy called the clearance divers that were also pretty special, like the elite of the Navy. And so I sort of like I do, I jumped in headfirst. I didn't do a lot of research. I'd never scuba dived in my life. And so I just put myself on a course to go and become a ship's diver, which is a three-week course where you learn to scuba dive and then you learn and you learn to search for bombs at the same time, which was pretty cool. That yeah, it was good. And anyone, the good thing is anyone in the Navy can go and do this course. And you get a little uh, uh, diving helmet badge on your shoulder to signify that you're a ship's diver. Uh, so past that, but then if you want to go into clearance divers, there's a couple of extra steps. You have to go through a grueling 10-day selection process. This is like one of the hardest um, selection processes in the world. So we started out, I think, with like 36. We ended with 10 people. Uh, most of them quit on the first day, uh, on the first exercise. It was crazy. We actually lost people on the initial fitness test before the, the afternoon uh, run. So past that, lost about 15 pounds in 10 days. Um, so that was pretty rough. But, you know, one of the proudest moments of my life was standing in front of that Navy board of of high ranking clearance divers and being given my pass, you know, my, my eyes started to well up and I was just so happy. And then you go into a 37 week, um, a basic clearance divers course where you learn everything from <clears throat> driving the dive boats to underwater demolitions, to, um, tactical operations, diving on pure oxygen rebreathers, doing reconnaissance raids, um, aerial mine disposal, jumping out of helicopters and um, looking for mines and blowing them up to underwater tools on the hard hat diving. So welding, uh, broco cutting, um, explosive tools. Um, and then we do land-based explosive ordnance disposal as well. So like the traditional bomb disposal guys. So one of the best things about it is like it's such a varied role. You never really know what you're going to be doing but it's also like you can't be a jack of all those trades. You have to be an expert because your life and your mates' lives rely on this. And diving, as dangerous as it is, is just a means to get to the actual job. And then the job becomes even more dangerous. So just super exciting. Really loved it. Uh, had a great team of mates. Uh, and I did that from, um, you know, the training started around April 2005, finished around October, and uh, did that until February 2009 
when that bull shark came along in Sydney Harbour and decided it wanted to eat me for breakfast. <laughs> so safe to say, even before the shark attack, you're kind of a badass. I mean, that all sounds really hectic and really amazing. And I know that you like you really loved doing that. Um, and then all of a sudden, life was going to change forever. So tell me about that day. And I, I was reading, when I was reading about your attack, it, it, something hit me more than anything. And it was the fact that no one had been attacked here in more than 60 years. So it obviously wasn't something that everyone was expecting to happen, right? Uh, I think everyone in Sydney knows that there's bull sharks in Sydney Harbour, but very rarely do you even see them. And the water in most parts of Sydney Harbour is pretty murky, so you can't see through it even if you are in it. So we know they're there, but they've just never bothered anyone uh, And <laughs> until I came along. The, the guy in the clearance divers, that's most afraid of sharks. And it's funny, all, my, all of my mates are like, of all the people to get attacked, it had to be you. Like they knew I was trying. I made I, I made a fatal error and told people I was afraid of sharks. And they would put pictures of great whites on my locker and say, "Yeah, we saw that out in the dock the other day." And I'm just like, "Fuck," you know. But I, like as as afraid as I was, my job was so kind of dangerous and exciting. Anyway, you, you just put that shark stuff to the back of your brain and focus on the job and just kind of bury it deep down and focus on not dying in other ways. Um, but we were doing a counter-terrorism exercise right in a place called Woolloomooloo uh, between the big Navy base and Mrs. McCroy's chair. And it sounds more exciting than what it was. We were just basically swimming from point A to point B and then back pretending to be attack swimmers. And the R&D department of the military were using this new equipment to try and detect us. And so I was second in the water. I just pulled out the new guy. I was in a black wetsuit, a pair of black fins, and I was just swimming along on my back on the surface. And about four or five minutes later, massive whack in my leg and it, it it didn't really hurt so i didn't freak out but i i'm like you know it sh shocked me and i turn around to see what it was thinking i'm going to see a bit of driftwood or maybe the guys in the boat and there's just this massive shark head with big black eyes staring at me and i'd never actually seen a big dangerous shark before like i'd seen port jackson's like the, when we practice our mine disposal and mine recoveries and stuff down in Jarvis Bay, uh, we often go down and find the mines. And there's like little schools and families of Port Jacksons living on the mine. So I'd seen little ones, mm -hmm. but this thing was massive. And my brain couldn't actually fathom what I was seeing for a second because I'd never seen it before. And then my survival instincts kicked in and I, I'm thinking – Oh, I've seen the crocodile hunter. I've seen Discovery Channel. I got to jab it in the eyeball, but I couldn't move my hand for some reason. I, I, I like, what's going on? My arm won't work. And I looked down, and the teeth were embedded into my wrist. And every time I tried to pull my arm, I could see my my flesh tearing. And it hurt a little bit, but because I guess the adrenaline and the teeth are so sharp. It didn't hurt a lot. It was more shocking. And I could see the rest of the teeth, you know, the, the lips are pulled back. I can see the gums. The teeth are half embedded into my wetsuit in my leg. And so I, I try and reach over and get it with my left hand, but I, can't, I just can't reach the eye. So I grab it by the nose and I try and lever it off, but it's got a, such a strong grip. You know, bull sharks, by size comparison, have a greater bite force than great white sharks. And so there's just, you know, there's no way I'm getting this thing off. And so I cock back to punch it in the head. And just as I'm about to punch it, I guess it decides that I'm food and starts to shake me and take me underwater. And it was so painful that every ounce of fight went out of me and the agony just overtook my whole body. Uh, and you realize how helpless and defenseless you are in the water when an animal like that is trying to kill you so i basically gave up there was nothing i could do i was in agony i was drowning and 
I basically said to myself, you're not going home today. You're going to die right now. Um, and I was just getting shook around like a rag doll. Um, and you can see the footage on YouTube as well. It's, it's been on a couple of shows. You can see me actually getting attacked. Wait, and someone filmed it? It's on YouTube? The exercise, yeah. So it's not great footage because, I don't know, I guess Navy doesn't like using good cameras or whatever. But, yeah, you can, you can watch the attack on YouTube. If you, just, if you Google Navy diver shark attack and go to videos, you can watch it. Okay, I have to admit to everybody listening and you, I'm doing it right now. Um, <laughs> wow, there's a few. This is what I love, though. Like, I just typed this into YouTube, and there's just all these videos of you that have come up that it's like U.S. Navy, like Navy clearance diver, you're still Australian. Um, and then there's all this stuff about you advocating for sharks and don't be scared of sharks and you feeding sharks. And I, I just love that that's what's come out of this. But everything you're describing sounds like enough to make even the most shark loving human be absolutely terrified and hate sharks but it did the opposite for you which is what's so crazy about your story and i have one question is it true that after your attack and this horrific thing that you went through the first thing that you said was about your motorbike <laughs> yeah yeah i i i'd the shark had ripped out my hamstring and ripped off my hand and everyone always says oh so how did you get away and i'm like I, I didn't. It, <laughs> I was swimming away <laughs> while it was swallowing my body. <laughs> I didn't really get away. I, I got away, but not all of me. Um, and so I got. I swam back to the boat, one hand and one leg through a pool of my own blood and got to the boat. The guys pulled me out, started first aid, and I looked at my mate Tomo and I just said, mate, I got my priorities in order. And I said, can you make sure someone looks after my motorbike? I don't think I'm riding home today. And he says, shut up, the Gelder, you're dying. Focus on breathing. <laughs> oh <my laughs> all, right, all right, mate. Yeah, you're all right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my. It's a military way, though, to try and bring levity to your friends in, like, horrific situations like that because you just don't want anyone to worry. It was like when I woke up in hospital for the first time and all my friends were around me and I couldn't speak because I had tubes down my throat. So they gave me this uh, board with letters on it and I could, they gave me a pen and I could like tap out the letters to spell to everyone what I wanted to say. My first words to them all were fucking shark and they all wet themselves. <laughs> that, that attitude is just inspirational. And you know what? Like I assume there's some training in the military to prepare for horrific things happening and seeing horrific things happen to your friends. But you can't really prepare for being attacked by a wild animal. And I'm sure everybody else was kind of in shock too. And I'm watching this video right now and I can see your distinctive head bobbing around and then a bunch of splashes and a bunch of panicking. And it's kind of crazy what you went through. Good work. I'll give it that. Wow. And then, okay, so I remember when you were on TV a little while after your attack. And you were wearing a T-shirt with a shark on it and the words bite me underneath it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we thought that would be pretty funny. Look, do I don't... Like, honestly, how do your loved ones feel about your sense of humour surrounding this? Well, both my younger brothers and my younger sister are, were all in the military. Uh, my sister's the only one still in. So as much as we gave mum um a heart attack a lot of the time she was so used to it from our rambunctious years pre-military that she was more proud than worried about us getting injured or anything like that she's just happy that we actually achieved something uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um oh, i was gonna say um yeah like, i i never i never blamed the shark um i, I you can't choose a dangerous life like I had and then get upset when something goes wrong. So it was never a, an instance where I was like, oh, woe is me or why did this have to happen to me or that shark needs to die or anything like that. Look, it could have been my big black Italian sports bike. It could have been a parachuting accident. It could have been a bomb. It could have been any number of things that would have maimed or killed me. And I accepted that. So the fact that I got such a cool story out of it that gets me heaps of free beer at the pub, at least there's that. 
Oh, Paul, you are an inspiration just for that reason alone. I mean, wow. I, I, I think personally, I can safely say that I'd be traumatized. And I mean, I'm still getting over seeing the pictures on your phone. And I just think it's, it's very, I almost want to say like, it's obviously very military, but it's also very Australian, the way that you, you look at things and you're just accepting of being in environments that can kill you. And then walking away from it, not blaming the shark is, is a really amazing trait that you should be proud of. And then not long after, you're hand feeding bull sharks, the very species responsible for nearly taking your life in Fiji. Like how does one go from having an arm in a bull shark to hand feeding one? That was years later um, for 60 Minutes. That was like the second episode of 60 Minutes. Um, so they started filming me in the hospital before I'd even been released. And look, as much as I joke about it and say that I never blame the shark and I accepted what had happened to me, that's not to say that I didn't cry myself to sleep more nights than I can even tell you or, you know, I didn't, I didn't have bad days. I had horrible days uh, with phantom pains and moments of despair and like fear, overwhelming fear of not just losing my career, but losing my life and my purpose and my value. And it, it was a really scary time, that recovery. Um, like nine weeks in a hospital bed uh, was rough and I, I started training as hard as I could uh, as soon as I could just because I had this almost impossible goal of going back to work with the Navy. But mm. the, 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 the great thing was that there was no other avenue for me to go. Like I didn't have skills in any other realm and so that was my only option. And so as, as terrified as as I was, I utilized that fear to motivate me into keeping my mind strong and redeveloping and building my body back strong enough that I could do the tasks expected of me in the Navy. And so that was my my driving motivation. But it was really tough. Um, it took me from the day I got attacked to the day that I was accepted back into the Navy as an instructor, it took six months. Um, and wow. that, that felt like a long time. But That's not uh, a long time at all. It is when you're going through it. Uh, but it, there were so many things. I had to go back in for three revision surgeries for my leg. So I'd reach a certain point. And then I'd have bone spurs growing and I have to go back into the hospital, get cut open again. Then there's a whole nother rehab process there waiting for that to heal. And that happens three times. And so I just take every opportunity I have, you know, just because you don't have one good leg. Hey, I've still got a, a left leg here. I need to train. I've still got an upper body here. I need to train. So I get into the army gym at Paddington on my crutches and just try and learn to use this body again, because, you know, I, I didn't just lose my right hand. I left my, lost my master hand. And so I had to learn how to do everything, not just one handed, but left-handed as well. Uh, so patience and perseverance and a lot of deep breathing came into play where I just get so frustrated that I couldn't do something. You just got to stop, take a deep breath. You know, you'll get there eventually and just give it another crack. Um, and so a couple of years went past. I got back into the Navy as an instructor. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, 60 minutes came along, took me to Fiji and I got to witness these animals, these bull sharks in a scope that wasn't similar to the first time, thank goodness. <laughs> um, you know, I got to see them as these incredible, these are some of the biggest bull sharks in the world, the biggest yeah. bull sharks I've ever seen. Uh, and there'll be 30 of them. And then you've got six other species of sharks, and then you've got all the fish everywhere. It's like you can barely see the water from all the life. It's such an incredible place. And so we did a couple of dives, and then it was the last dive of the last day and it was only me and Brandon who runs the shark diving out there and Sam, the cameraman, and all the rest of the 60 Minutes crew had left. And so I looked at Brandon and I looked at the bait box and gave him the nod and he like he gave me the thumbs up. And I've been watching him the whole time. He gave me his chainmail glove and I reached in and pulled out a, a tuna head. And just the first time I, I tried to do it, I got a little freaked out at the last minute and I let go too early 
and the fish head drifted into the lap of the cameraman. <laughs> and the bull shark started going for his balls. And so he freaked out a little bit. And, but we gave it another go and, and I did it perfectly. And I was, it was just such a healing process. It really was an incredible experience. That's amazing. That's so amazing. And like, okay, so a few months ago, I, I hiked a massive volcano in Indonesia and I had the wrong shoes. So uh, like a week after I ripped my toenail off jumping into the water and that's probably the most horrific injury I've sustained in a while. And I'm sitting there like in pain, having difficulty walking around and putting fins on and diving for the next month. And I'm thinking to myself, surely I can just go on welfare. You know, I can barely walk. And like, that's been a challenge <laughs> for me. And then I'm thinking about you just like, I better hit the gym because I've got one arm left and one leg left to train. Like, and it's just crazy. Like there's, you know, you have two options when life does that to you. So am I going to adapt and overcome or am I going to just give in? And it's just amazing. Like what you went through and it, it's removed my right to bitch about anything that happens to be honest <laughs> like I find well, look, it really I agree cool. with you wholeheartedly there you know you you seem to have the same sort of mindset as me um the world and our lives are complicated enough and we make them more complicated much of the time so why not choose to make it simple you know like you said two choices you know what are you going to choose you're going to choose a good life you're going to choose a bad life you're going to choose to uh, dwell in it, or you're going to choose to rise above it. Like, just keep life simple as possible, and then you don't get wrapped up in all the other garbage. Totally. And it's just, like, I mean, it's easier said than done to the fact that you're an example of it. It's amazing, and it's so true. And then, off, obviously, after your attack, you're you're in the media a lot, which, you know, in itself is quite difficult, and then you started looking into sharks and that's when you kind of discovered the situation that they were in right yeah yeah the media kept coming to me for comments whenever there was uh other shark interactions around australia you know why do they attack how do we stay safe all that sort of stuff and i, I really didn't want to look like a dumbass on television just going oh uh water uh <laughs> sharks uh so I, I had to do research and knowledge dispels fear. That's a, a saying in the Navy. It's on one of the crests of the Navy ships. Knowledge dispels fear. And so I had to do my research. I had to look into it. And the more research I did, the more I realized how little we have to fear of sharks and how much they have to fear of us. You know, the comparison of numbers, you know, the seven to 10 deaths in the whole world of humans compared to the over 100 million sharks. You know, who is the real monster here? As much as the media likes to print big explosive headlines in their papers and whatever, man-eaters lurking the coast waiting to eat your children and all this garbage, like, we are the monsters to them. We are, we are the monsters to pretty much every, every living thing on this planet. And so in my military service, my job was to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves and to protect those that can't protect themselves. And so I saw this as just an extension of that moving on to sharks because they don't have a voice. They can't stand up for themselves. It's, it's like fishing. Shark fishing is not a sport. In a sport, you've got two people that know they're competing. It's just a mm -hmm. slaughter. And so... They needed a voice, and I think one of the, the greatest wastes you can have is a platform and a voice and not utilize it. And so I felt duty-bound to stand up for sharks, and it's just progressed and um, become more and more of a passion every year. That is the most amazing way you could have possibly put it, and I absolutely love it. It, it's so cool. I mean, you and I are both familiar with shark attack victims in Australia and not everybody comes out with such a mentality towards sharks. A lot of people turn around absolutely hating them. So it's pretty cool that that's... Victims. See, there, there's yeah. the two groups. There's the victims and there's the survivors. Yep. 100%. Is that, is that kind of like a common mentality in the military as well with people that have been through a lot? You... you it, it's different in the military because you are tr specifically trained to bury that stuff down, compartmentalize your emotions and just sort of shut down and just deal with what's in front of you. 
whereas the you know the normal civilian population aren't trained to do that and not saying that's a good technique because you know that's why a lot of people have PTSD they don't know how to express those feelings and and um, get them off their chest and uh, actually Lane Beachley really helped me with that through my speaking teaching me how to be more vulnerable and getting on stage and giving more of myself to this crowd of people that I don't even know. And I mm. think that's probably why I don't have PTSD. I never had depression. I don't have nightmares, no flashbacks, nothing. And I think that's why, because I just, I give all of it to the audience. Um, but, you know, the civilian population might not have a way to do that. Uh, hopefully they have friends and family to talk to, but, uh, I think some people just choose to live in fear uh, and others rise above that. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's crazy that you mentioned that you were the one person that was so scared of sharks and then that happened to you. I find that so amazing that you, you kind of manifested it in the first place by having that fear and then it's just... The like, universe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting one. So yeah. tell me, what's the biggest challenge with having a half robot body because you've got a pretty cool half robot body, but it's obviously very challenging. In the early days. Uh, So it's changed over the years. Initially the hardest part was just going outside and being amongst people and being stared at everywhere I went. Um, It it used to really frustrate me. It would definitely frustrate my friends when they were with me and everyone's staring at me. And so I really had to learn how to deal with that. And then I, I just realized, like, if there was a half-robot guy walking down the street, I would want to look to um, <laughs> because it's not something you see every day. And I could choose to either, like, slump my shoulders, look at the ground and sort of be, a, you know, a victim again to that. Or and they, and they might say, oh, look at that poor guy missing his limbs. I wonder what happened to him. Or I could pin my shoulders back hold my head high, have a smile on my face, be proud, walk with purpose. And instead of feeling sorry for me, they would look at me and go, holy shit, look at that cyborg. <laughs> uh, is, is Halloween your favourite time of year? Do you ever do anything cool for Halloween? Uh, it's, it's, it's never been a big celebration for me. Uh, I haven't, I've never really embraced it. Uh, I know there's some good people that do. They always like go as pirates or whatever. Um, no, I've never really done that. I feel like I'm a, a Halloween costume most of the time. <laughs> I think that's your time to shine. We definitely need to organize something for next year. Rubber at work. Yeah. <laughs> something that I love when I watch, uh, like, your involvement in, in Shark Week has been a big thing. And there's something that I love that I always notice that really separates you from everyone else is that Shark Week shows a lot of out-of-the-cage interactions with big great whites and it's all real and it's all very like amazing that they do that and and sometimes pretty dramatic and there's always like you know andy or someone with his big gates and he's red and then there's paul with a gopro stick and a little gopro out of the cage with a great white it's just like four great whites actually yeah yeah that was that was crazy there's nothing between you and the shark Nothing. So, I, I like we're in the cage. We're at 110 feet deep, and we're and um, Andy's gonna. He's like, we're just gonna suss them out for a little bit, make sure they're calm. And I'm like, all right. So I'm getting ready to like sit there for 10 minutes or something. It's about one minute, and he goes, all right, bro, I'm getting out of the cage. I'm like, oh, all right. He's like, you got to watch my back. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? Do I watch his back from here? Do I have to get out there? <laughs> And he just starts getting out and leaving. I'm like, shit, shit, shit. All right, I got to follow him. I got to watch his back. And so he's got his big red camera. I got my GoPro on a stick. And I'm out there and we're back to back, like 360 degree vision. And then I hear over my comms, hey, Paul, that shark's checking you out. And I was like, what? How can you see that? And I turn around and he's gone. He's back at the cage and I'm just sitting out in the wide open by myself with two great whites swimming around me. And I just stop and chill. I'm like, I remember something he said to me, don't act like food. They won't treat you like food. So I'm like, okay, just got to stay still. And then I, I get, I start, the weird thing happens, I start getting comfortable. 
And probably a big mistake to get comfortable around great whites. But I start moving further and further away from the cage. And I'm probably 30 feet away. And I'm just sitting in this little sea kelp that's swaying. And there's a big sand patch in front of me. And this great white just comes out of the murk directly at my face. And you can see the nose. And then you see the mouth. And they look like they're smiling from front on. And then the fin. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, this is a horror movie. And there's nothing I can do. I'm like, I, there's no way I'd make it back to the cage if I start swimming away. That's going to, you know, invoke its predatory instincts and probably chase me down. So I'm like, this is all I can do is just stare it down. And so I've got my GoPro on a stick and I'm filming it and it's coming directly at me. And I'm like, this shark could kill me right now and go on with its day and not even think another second about it. And that would be the end of me. And it gives you this really crazy perspective of how small you are in the grand scheme of things uh, and how little you mean oftentimes. And so I just stood there and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to die, I'm going to enjoy my last moments, just admiring this humongous beast. And then it got within about 10 feet of me. It moved its tail a fraction and I felt the whole pressure of the water around me change and it just started gliding past my head and I could see its eyes, big blue eye, just rotating, checking me out and it just swam straight past me and it was such an incredible experience and then I went back to the cage. (laughs) That's amazing and it's just you are to this day the only person I've seen with just a GoPro stick that does this. Even I've got a giant camera in front of me when we're doing those scenes. But you with your GoPro stick is my favorite thing. And I I honestly think like... And it's all you can carry. Yeah. (laughs) True. I guess you do have a robot arm just in case the shark gets too close. Yeah, I can't use the robot arm underwater, but I do use my weightlifting arm with a big steel hook on it. Uh, I use, use when I'm dealing with sharks, like when I did the survival show out in the ocean for two days and two nights, no food, no water, and we're surrounded by oceanic white tips the whole time. I was tending to use my my weightlifting arm with the hook on it to create a distance between us instead of my real one. Um, don't really want to lose the only hand I have left, so <laughs> I utilize whatever tools I got smart um is it safe to say that you kind of enjoy being in <laughs> shitty scary crazy survival situations uh, i love that adventure um i wouldn't recommend the two days and two nights out at sea <laughs> no food or water though that sucks i'm st- i'm so stupid i did it a second time the first <laughs> year they blew up our boat off the coast of the bahamas the second year they wanted us to parachute into the pacific ocean and i didn't want to do it whatsoever but i did want to get my parachute license so that i could prove to myself and also show other people that even if you're missing limbs you can still become a qualified parachutist so i let them pay for my parachute course and the fee that i had to pay was shoot that show and it's horrible like forget the sharks just go into that second night where you know you've got eight hours of pitch blackness, you can't see anything, you've got sharks all around you, you're hungry, you're, um, you're thirsty, you've had no food or water for nearly two days, and you, you're just going to be left alone with your thoughts for eight hours. Um, That's the scariest and, and, part. And, and then, no, the scariest part was the sun went down and I had to poop. And so... <laughs> <laughs> And so I'm in the ocean with one hand, a very sharp knife bobbing around, trying to work out how I'm going to cut a hole in the ass of my wetsuit without putting an extra hole in my ass. And so <laughs> that, that was that was probably the hardest part about the whole thing. I had not- like this flap in my wetsuit with my bum hanging out for the rest of the show. It's very embarrassing. This is not exactly how... I expected this podcast to go, but it has surpassed all expectations that I did have, I must say. Um, and, yeah, that craziest thing about that expedition is that was your idea. So <laughs> you only have you to blame. Watch most of what happens to me. It is my own fault. You know, we, we choose our paths. And like I said before, you can't get upset when something goes wrong because our only true power in this life is our power of choice. It's like one of those old choose-your-own-adventure books. Are you 
Remember those? Yeah. Now they're um now they're in the form of Facebook games, but yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's that's life. So we choose everything. That's our power. We can choose to be a victim, we can choose to be a survivor, we can choose to live, we can choose to just exist. Um, so I choose to live, uh, and you know, having faced death so intimately and being such on the brink of passing over, now I've got a second chance to really live. And I realized, you know, death wasn't scary. The, the shark attack was scary. It was extremely painful. But in those final moments before I thought I was going to die, I was at peace because I knew that from where I had begun as this misguided, troubled youth to what I had achieved in life, I'd lived 10 lives in those 31 years and I'd exceeded my own expectations. So I figured if I'm going to die, then I'm good. I've lived enough. I have no regrets. And then I didn't die, obviously. And now I get to live free of this fear of death and just enjoy life for the amazing thing that it is. And if anything, your story kind of inspires me to not need a shark attack to occur in order to feel that way. And that's something that I hope people can do in their lives. And, you know, another thing is like, I hear lots of people say to you, and I've even said to you, man, you're, you're so lucky. Like you, you have such an amazing life. You get to dive with sharks. Now you get to be on shark week, you get to travel around the world. But the reality is, and the thing that I think I want people to know is you would have been fine if you weren't attacked. You would have still had a good life. You are lucky. You have an amazing life now, but gosh, it's come with some hurdles. And it hasn't all been wonderful. Yeah. With a lot of people that achieve success in their life, you know, you, you really only see them when they're successful. You don't see the journey and how hard that journey can be. And that's not to say that. Um, other people's lives that don't achieve their dream jobs and their dream life, their lives aren't aren't hard either. You know, that's that's the thing about life. It's hard on everyone. It just depends on the things that you've been through and your perspective and your experiences to judge how hard it is. Like, you know, I when I was a, a teenage kid, I was depressed and I hated life and I just wanted to die a lot of the time. But when I went to East Timor as a United Nations peacekeeper, I saw how hard life can really be. You know, I had food, a roof over my head, a family, and, you know, some things sucked, like getting bullying and all that sort of stuff. But when you go to a third world country and you see these people that are happy and they have nothing, that really puts it into perspective. And you start, I started going, geez, you were such a little bitch, but it's true with everyone. It just depends on the things that you've been through and the things that you experience. Just because you're not growing up in a hut with a dirt floor doesn't mean that your life in a first world country can't be difficult emotionally and physically as well. But those things that we go through, all of us go through, they're not, they're not designed to make us weaker. You know, we don't get beat down uh, by these things if we choose not to be. They're actually there to make us stronger. Because everything, every hard thing we go through in our life, we have the opportunity to look back on it and go, wow, I survived that. That made me stronger. Now I know how to deal with something else if it comes along. And so those lessons actually make us into bigger, better, stronger human beings if we allow them to. Amazing. What, um, what's one thing that you wish the public knew about you? A lot of people probably know it already, um, people that follow me and stuff, but um, I'm vegan and I'm bigger and stronger than I've ever been in my life. And I just, you know, I had such fears before I went plant-based that I would turn into this skinny, weedy, weedy, smelly, tree-hugging hippie. Nothing wrong with (laughs) tree-hugging hippies. I love them too. But, um, (laughs) yeah, this, this perception about people that don't, eat animals is factually incorrect. It's such a load of hot rubbish. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends in the plant-based realm that are bodybuilders, that are triathletes, that run marathons and ultra marathons. And they're some of the fittest people I know. Like I, I took a bunch of my friends bungee jumping out here in LA a few months ago and we got, it was a five mile hike in and there was about 50 people all up and about 10 of my friends and the bungee jumping people were like, 
what are you guys, like a fitness club or something like that? They're like, no, we're, we're all vegan. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what? You're like, we're like the biggest, fittest, like healthy people there. And they just couldn't wrap their head around that we're all plant-based. So, you know, I just want to break down the common myth that, you know, people that don't eat animals aren't all skinny, weedy, unhealthy people. Yeah, and I, I wish this was a video podcast so people could see you. Guys, Paul's a rig. You'd never think that he leaves the gym. I mean, you kind of don't, but you you definitely are an excellent example for veganism, and I love I, that you're an I, advocate. I walk, I walk into um, – I've got that app, Happy Cow app. Man, that thing has saved my life traveling the world because it shows you where all the vegan restaurants and plant-based restaurants and vegetarian restaurants and stuff are all around the world. So I'm often traveling, and I'll walk into uh, a fully vegan restaurant, and this wait staff – will look at me and I'll sit down and they're like, you know, this is um, a plant-based restaurant, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm vegan. They're like, oh, oh, okay, cool. Like, just look at me like, there's no way this dude doesn't eat meat. Yeah, they're like, what the hell is G.I. G.I. Joe got lost and he's just walking in the <laughs> yeah. cafe. Yeah, that's funny. I, I love playing on it though. Absolutely. I don't, I don't, I'm not like one of those loud vegans that like talks about it all the time you know there's a place for those people um i believe in what they do but there's other ways to do it as well i don't bring it up a lot i just like people to get to know me and then eventually it comes out and they they're just like what how what how what do you eat like i still to this day yesterday where do you get your protein from i'm like fuck this again. Oh. um but yeah it's 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 hilarious the the ideal people have of vegans yep and you're you're definitely helping turn that around what's one thing that you wish you could do that you can't do anymore let's keep this pg-13 okay i like i can still run on my blade but it sucks it just hurts like i used to be a really good runner uh in the navy i ran a race called the um three peaks where you sail between uh, mountains and then you run up and down mountains. Uh, the first leg was 65 kilometers and the second two were 35 kilometers. And I did that with two 15 kilometer warm up runs and I beat everyone on my team who were like part of the running club and triathlete club. Um, I, I like, I just, it's something about the meditative breathing and the rhythm you get into a, in a run that I used to love and, now I just can't do it because the the socket of my blade hurts my leg. Um, you have to concentrate on every single step because if that blade hits just a little bit of uneven ground, you go down hard. And so it's it's just not fun anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, such a simple thing that's also so therapeutic mentally that would have an impact not being able to do that. Yeah, it's not a treadmill, and so I bought a treadmill. I've got one in my apartment. I try and run on it as much as possible. It's it's much easier when the ground is moving underneath you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, what's uh, what's the best way that people can, I guess, connect with you, learn more about you? Uh, you have a book coming out, right? Uh, I just got a deal with HarperCollins to do a shark book. Uh, which is awesome. I get to share the the knowledge that I've learned over the years from from scientists and shark cinematographers and my own experiences. Um, teach people about sharks and how incredible they are. And then I've got my my book coming out as well called Uncaged. And so I did a book back in 2012 called No Time for Fear, but that that finished in 2012 when I was leaving the Navy. Uh, and it was through Penguin, but Penguin didn't want to update it. And so I took it upon myself and I rewrote the first half of the book with a very good friend of mine, Geraint Jones, who's a, who's a ghostwriter for James Patterson uh, and a veteran as well, an incredible writer. And uh, we rewrote the first half and then we added the last nine years of all the, the shark um, journeys and working on documentaries and going to Africa and so many uh, cra crazy adventures and life lessons. So that one's coming out as well, uh, Uncaged and Shark Book. So, yeah, excited about those two projects. Hey, guys, keep an eye out for that because there's a lot more interesting stuff that Paul has to talk about that you can definitely pick up on the book. And honestly, like, it's so cool 
being able to dive with you and seeing your journey, Paul, and just having you on the shark side. I mean, it's it's really awesome. And thank you for coming Rad on the that podcast. You finally, you finally agreed to come on Shark Week with me. Yeah, I, I sold my soul, and it was one of the best things I've ever done because now I get to swim with great whites. <laughs> and you get to hang out with Robert Irwin, who's amazing. Um, and now you're doing another show as well. You're going to Guadalupe, aren't you, with, uh, with Andy. I was hanging out with him yesterday. Oh, sorry, yes. two days ago. Yes, yes, I am. And, you know, eventually Shark Week will have the brilliant plan of putting us on another show together and just letting us do whatever we want because that'll be a show worth watching. That's a good thing about Shark Week. You know, a lot of a lot of negative comments come out about it and, you know, they do say wrong things oftentimes. Um, it, it, but being a part of it, you can't change anything from the outside. You know, we get to be a part of it now. They can't change what we say. So we get to say whatever we want in defense of sharks and teach people about how incredible they are. And they have to put that in. And so at least we get a voice. And, you know, like, what an amazing thing to be able to do. A shark nearly took your life. And now you're on Shark Week shows, standing up for sharks. It's so cool. And, I mean, I, I, I also love, like, the Australianness that you bring to Shark Week. I'll never forget seeing a trailer with you in it where they were planning on catching sharks to release them away from the beach and they have this big like cooler on the boat and i'll never forget the one line that you said where if we don't catch any sharks at least we can fill this thing up with beer and i was like at a boy keep that australian <laughs> spirit strong on shark week oh mate uh, yeah uh, you, you can't not be australian <laughs> oh, okay well awesome Thank you, Paul, and thank you to everybody for listening to his amazing story.